proverb that goes along with the day. For one thing, that's easy to keep up with. If, it's, if today's the 11th, you read Proverbs 11. And my habit has been these many years so to jot down some of the, the important verses that speak to me from that uh, chapter, and I carry around in my pocket and refer to them. And I have amazed at how many of the, the Proverbs I've memorized just by that, that spiritual discipline. Whatever, it would certainly behoove all of us to become acquainted with this book and it's almost inexhaustible. Years ago, I taught uh, on Wednesday night through the book of Proverbs. And other preachers would ask me, Brother Lamb, where are you teaching on Wednesday night? And I'd tell them, and they'd say, oh, that's a, that would be a difficult thing to do. And they'd always ask, are you teaching it by topics? Because there's the topic of wealth, time, immorality, uh, alcohol. There's all kinds of topics uh, throughout the book of Proverbs. Are you going by chapter? I said, I go through verse by verse. Like, that's just the way, uh, only way I know to do it. Well, this, uh, though, however, in Sunday school will be a survey, and we'll try to hit upon the, the, the key verses of these chapters as we go through, and our uh, goal to get through the scriptures here as we teach through the scriptures in our Sunday school. But we notice here today this will be somewhat of an introduction to the book, but you go ahead and turn there to Proverbs chapter 1, and we see from the very beginning the Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, and then he gives us the goal. You know, I was taught in school when you write a term paper, you have a thesis sentence, and you should let them know what they're going, what they're going to read about in your uh, essay. And so uh, Solomon must have had the same English teacher because he gives, in these three verses, uh, his thesis, to know wisdom and instruction, to perceive or understand the words of understanding, to receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, judgment, and equity, to give subtlety to the simple, to the uh, young man, knowledge and discretion. So that is what, from the outset, what he says this book will attempt to do. The word Proverbs comes from a Hebrew word meaning to be like. And Proverbs are simple, witty, uh, moral statements or illustrations that point out and teach life's important lessons. They help the reader to understand the difference between spiritual and material things. And so you will see, as we make our journey through the book, this, uh, this separation from the spiritual and the temporal, from the eternal and the, the temporary. The, the father is instructing his son. If you'll keep that, that voice in your mind of the father uh, teaching his son the lessons of life he needs to know. Our daughter, he just happens to be the son here. And so this is parental uh, wisdom that all parents should teach their children and what our Heavenly Father wants us to know as His children. You, you often see the word like or as. There are comparisons throughout the book of Proverbs. Uh, for example, in chapter 4, verse 18, the path of the just is as the shining light. You see, He gives you a picture. He makes a statement, and then He illustrates what He's saying. The way that the just are going is they have the guidance, the light of God's word to guide their steps. The, and then that, that shineth more and more into a perfect day. Our example, the next verse of chapter 4 says the way of the wicked, there will often be a comparison and a contrast. He tells you what the righteous are like and then the wicked, but the way in contrast of the wicked is as darkness. You see, the, the direct opposite of light. The wicked are stumbling around and they know not what at. They're on that... Broadway way stumbling to eternity. They know not at what they stumble. Proverbs is a book of comparisons between common, concrete 
things that you can see or perceive in life and the most important truths of life. Somehow that's being missed. We know the value of, of everything, the cost of everything, and the value of nothing, someone has said. You can ask people the going rate of gas for a gallon of gas, the stock market, the prices at Walmart. They know they can tell you how much land is worth, how much a car is worth, but the worth of a soul, the majority of people have no concept of the worth of one immortal soul. We do, don't we? Because we know the word of God. What would it profit? Our Lord gave us that price tag, didn't he? What would it profit a man if he gained the whole world? What does that mean? Everything. If you could tally up every bank account, all the real estate, everything on earth, all the jewels, if a man could gain all of that, would, could he give that in exchange of his own soul? The answer is no. The pricelessness of one soul. And yet the masses, know they don't have any concept of what that soul is worth. So we see these comparisons between physical things and spiritual truths. Throughout the book, wisdom is personified. Now, there are some poetic terms here that we need to define. In literature, personification is giving something that usually is not alive or thought of as a human being, human characteristics. So wisdom uh, is given her, a voice, her ways, her uh, teachings. Uh, wisdom is personified. And as is poetry often is given, wisdom is given that female derivation which can be somewhat, we have to be discerning here because there's a portion of Scripture in the book of Proverbs where uh, Christ is wisdom. He said, I was with the Father before the foundations of the world and so forth. But just know that there are similes, those are comparisons, there are personifications, uh, there are other poetic devices that, that the Holy Spirit uses. Why? Because as human beings, we can only go so far in our finite wisdom. Like a good teacher, every good teacher will illustrate what they're saying. They'll draw on the board. They'll have an overhead. They'll bring a bird's nest into the class. All kinds of things to get a point across the point. And so the Holy Spirit does that as well. If he did not tell us that wisdom shouted or that God has an arm that cannot be shortened or ear that, can't, that does always hear, it would be very hard for us to, in our finiteness to picture those things and so the holy spirit helps us in that that area uh, wisdom is the, the lord jesus christ is seen throughout this book please don't think that this is a dusty old testament book of sayings like some farmer's almanac this is the book of jesus christ he is wisdom in him dwelleth all the wisdom of the godhead bodily so we can appropriately say wherever this is speaking of wisdom is ultimately speaking of christ isn't it and what he knows and does Remember that uh, Proverbs 8 is one of those key chapters, and you might want to go ahead and study it because it describes Christ in the Old Testament. Remember what the people said about Christ? Never a man spake like this man. He, it was the epitome of wisdom and discernment. In 1 uh, Corinthians 1, verse 30, but, as him, uh, but of him are ye in Christ, who of God is made unto us wisdom and righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So wherever you're studying in the Bible, know that Christ is there because this book is the story of Jesus Christ and his story is the gospel and this book is the, the, the whole Bible is the gospel, isn't it? Notice in verse 7 of chapter 1 where wisdom comes from. Wisdom doesn't come from the University of Alabama or Auburn or Harvard 
or even some theological uh, institution. Wisdom comes from a proper fear of the Lord. I would venture to say there's some Christian workers who don't have that. There are some preachers, God forbid, who do not have that. There are those who stand in the stead as God's uh, representatives on earth who do not have a, a reverential awe and fear of the Lord. They use the terms, uh, but they're very glib about it all. They promote self and their ways and their thoughts above the Lord Jesus Christ. And I would tell you, and I've studied this book over and over and over again and taught through it, but probably the most important phrase that you can take away from this book is that that I've just said, the fear of the Lord. Because everything else comes under that, whether you're just trying to make the wise decision about money or time or words or alcohol or the other uh, immorality, the other things that are taught and taught very graphically in, in the book of Proverbs. It is the fear of the Lord, that reverential awe, and it goes back to you know what Hagar said, Thou art the God who sees me. So the fear of the Lord comes from the understanding that the eyes of the Lord, and Proverbs tells us this, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, beholding the evil and the good. There's nowhere we cannot go where his eye is not there. There's nothing we can think that he does not already know. He knows the thoughts and the intents of the heart. But this reverential awe is that God is in all in control. He sees and knows all. And that awe of God, that fear of the Lord, causes us to bow to his authority. Now, if a policeman has a gun at my head and I'm on the ground or whatever, I'm bowing to his authority. And there's a fear there, right? I want you to know that the fear of God is much more than that kind of fear, although we should not explain that away. I've heard preachers and teachers say, well, you don't fear God like you'd fear man but the scripture says quite the opposite. Fear not him that is able just to destroy the body, but fear him that is able to destroy the soul in eternity. And only one can do that is God. And so while when we know him savingly as our father, I will tell you that I fear John Lamb, my father. I loved him and was in awe of him. But I had a reverential, I had a human fear as well, not that he would kill me or harm me, although he, he had a belt and he would use it. And I know that's probably not politically correct to say it today, but it, I'm here and alive and it didn't, it didn't warp me unless you think I'm warped. Um, but I, he, was not, he was an imperfect man. But I'll tell you, his authority, his place in my life, there was a, you can call it what you wanted to, but I knew there was a line I wouldn't dare cross. Do you know why? Because John Lamb was my father, and I knew what his principles were and what he would do and what he expected. And so this reverential fear of the Lord, yes, we do worship him. Yes, we do call him father. Yes, we do feel his arms around us and all those things. But you know as well as I do that whosoever the father receiveth, then he also chasteneth. And if he does not, we're not sons. So uh, we need to keep these things in perspective. And sometimes we just hear what people say without comparing it to the, the scriptures. And it's not necessarily true. So often in our teaching, we try to make people feel good instead of telling them the truth, and the truth will set us free. Feeling good will last, I mean, it'll just make you feel good, maybe until till you learn better, <laughs> until the truth is shown to you. And so this fear of the Lord causes us, you'll see throughout the book of Proverbs, to bow to his authority. You don't fear someone unless you're willing to do what they say. Do you bow to their authority? Okay. You, I will do what you say in this situation because you obviously have the power over me, at least right now, whatever it is. God has the ultimate 
power and say so over us. And that fear of the Lord causes us to trust him, to obey him and to follow him and to love him and to respect him for the God, the creator God that he is. Remember, it is he that has made us and not we ourselves. He made us for him, not him for us. And we get that warped and turned around in modern theology so often, I'm afraid. No one possesses true wisdom. You're not born with it. In fact, you're born hard-headed, as my parents would say. Son, you're just as hard-headed as that door over there. Hard-headed. Y'all know what I'm talking about. Southerners ought to know. I don't know if other people may know, but I'm sure you heard your daddy say, Son, you're hard-headed. We're born stubborn. We are born willful. We're born, uh, in the scripture, you'll find in the book of Proverbs, you meet four categories of people. You need to mark them, know them, because these are the four categories of people you meet every day. Everybody, I think, can be put into one of these categories. And I spend a a great deal of time every year. I've already preached through these uh, and taught our, our students in chapel here in our Christian school because they need to know where they stand and who they meet. You see, we've already heard uh, some of them mention in these first verses the simple. Well, what does that mean, the simple? Then you have the scorner. Then you have the foolish. And then you have the wise. Those four categories of people, the simple, the scorner, the foolish, the wise, everyone on earth can be put into one of the, or more than one of those categories. We'll see as we study which is the worst to be in and which, uh, where, where you should be, Okay. But wisdom, we're not born with it. But in, in the reason is most people mix wisdom up, confuse wisdom with IQ level. And we'll say, like the wise old owl, you know, those, are those phrases that someone is smart is wise. Not necessarily. Some of the leading scientists on earth today, Stephen Hawkins and other people, are, are atheists and scoff at the Dawkins and those people who scoff at the knowledge of God and they, they explain him away and give their perception of what, how things came to be and so forth. But I will tell you that no one has true wisdom who does not know the Lord savingly. The simplest child on earth can have wisdom. In fact, when you read the Proverbs what, uh, in, in the book of Psalms, you remember when we went through Psalm 119, the, the psalmist made that statement, I know them more than my teachers. If your teachers don't know the Lord, that's, you certainly do know more of the spiritual things than they do in the ways of the Lord. And so we, we say, as the, the scripture says in John 17, 17, thy word is truth. Another thing we see as we study through the book of Proverbs is that when one has true wisdom, the results will be translated into godly behavior. There is no uh, concept of having true wisdom and it not affecting your actions, your decisions. And that's, there's a disconnect there because we often see people say, I know what the scripture says. As a pastor, I hear this over and over again. Preacher, I know what the Bible teaches, and they can often quote me a verse, and then they say, but... You don't know my circumstances. And then they give a justification of why they couldn't possibly put that teaching or that precept into practice. When, when one has true wisdom, it is the opposite of acting like a fool. The Bible tells us, and again, we, we have to redefine some of these terms because a lot of people think a fool is like the court jester or a clown. That's not a, a fool. There's nothing funny about the fool in Proverbs. Because the scripture tells us the fool has, is in uh, Psalm 14, verse 1, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Or literally, the fool has said in his heart, no, God, no. Whether you're there or not, I'm not going to obey you or have you in my life. 
A fool isn't necessarily is an atheist. They just say, if there is a God, I'm going to do what I want to. That's a fool. And as I guess you've already seen the worst of these categories that we've mentioned of people is the category of, of a fool. The results of a proper application of wisdom is to use God-given abilities, those faculties that he's given to us, our talents, our resources, uh, opportunities wisely, prudently, realizing that they're gifts on loan to us that we're going to have an accounting for one day. Wisdom realizes and accepts moral obligations and duties, those old-fashioned standards that are often explained away today, and the need to be constantly maturing spiritually. 2 Peter 1 verse 5 tells us that what this looks like, and besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance or self-control, and to your self-control patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity, or that agape sacrificing love. For if these things be in you, and that's a list, isn't it, that should be discerning to some degree or in a growing degree in every believer's life. If these things be in you and you abound, not just in you, but abounding is the, the idea is teeming with, full of, like a pond full of catfish or goldfish. It's just teeming, it's full of. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ because these are the things that he came uh, to, to do in our, in our lives, that you might have life and not just eternal life. Some people say, whoosh, I'm saved, thank the Lord, and they, they sit down. No, not that you just have life, but you may have it more abundantly, as Peter explains there, those things growing and exercising and sh- showing forth in our lives. But he that lacketh, lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence then to make your calling and election sure. If these things are not abounding in your life, you need to examine your profession of faith, Peter says, to see if you are in the faith. For if you do these things, you shall never fall or fall away. Now, the author, we need to notice the author. When I get a book, whatever kind of book it is, I do several things. I'm a book person, so I get the book, I open the book, and I always see who wrote it, and you can usually see that on the cover, and then I see the date it was published. I see who published it. You can learn a lot by that. I see the year it was published, the, the, the dates of the author's birth and death. That was in the little fine print at the beginning. Then I go to the, the index, whatever is at the end, and look at all that uh, to see what things are covered in the book, in the table of contents. If it has a dust jacket, I look at the blurb that's written. That's the last thing I do because it's not really the least important what it's about. And uh, all kinds of things. You take it apart. But who is the author? And then I'll often look up the author and see what else they've written. And sometimes their books will be listed there as well. What else did they do or say about it, whether this is in history or science or whatever it is. And so in the scriptures, when you read a book, it was often that the Holy Spirit will tell you the human author. Now, you know that the author of this book is the Holy Spirit. The Bible says they were men were born along as they uh, spake, but, but, but they wrote what the Holy Spirit told them to write, using their personalities and, and all, all of that. But the human author is Solomon. Now, when I say that name, various pictures may come to your mind. <clears throat> I hope that the first thing that comes to your mind, you know that he, of course, was the son of, of, of David and Bathsheba. 
and uh, born after the, the first child was, was taken. And uh, Solomon is heir to the throne. And when he becomes king, do you remember what miraculous thing? Not, not any other person on earth has said that this happened to them. God came to Solomon and said, what will you, what, ask me what I will give to you. Unbelievably. Now, a lot of people sit there and say, oh, I wish the Lord would ask me that. But have you noticed that God always asks the questions he knows the answers to? And he, asks, he offers people things he knows what they will do with it. And so Solomon did not ask for wealth. He did not ask for power. He did not ask for notoriety. He asked, I need to know how to lead these people. I need to know, think like you, th- I need wisdom. He asked for the very thing that God gives you here in every verse in this book. So no wonder the Holy Spirit told Paul, Solomon to write down these things that God taught him. In the lead- if you ruled like this, you'd have a wonderful country, wouldn't you? If your family operated along these lines or your business or your personal life, oh, what a, what, how many problems would be solved? He that heareth the matter uh, before he speaks, he that handleth the matter wisely shall find good. Uh, we could just go on and on. Where, where there is no strife, where the, the, there's no strife, contention ceases. We could just, all kinds of, uh, uh, you know, let your words be few. It says that in so many different ways about our speech. Uh, these six things the Lord hates, yea, seven are an abomination to him. And that seventh thing, he that soweth discord among brethren. Uh, that a red light ought to go up and say, I'm not going to be in that category because God hates those who uh, sow discord among brethren. And so there are, uh, the author, there are several human contributions to the book of Proverbs. But Solomon is the editor and the main writer and compiler of them. And Solomon, as I mentioned, the king of David, and he ruled Israel from 971 to 931 B.C., almost a 1,000 years before the birth of Christ. Uh, the Bible tells us in First uh, uh, Chronicles that God gave Solomon wisdom and understanding exceeding much and largeness of heart. What, a, what an interesting thing that the Holy Spirit requires about him. Big-heartedness, largeness of heart, even as the sand that is on the seashore. And Solomon's wisdom excelled the wisdom of all the children of the east country and all the wisdom of Egypt. For he was wiser than all men, than Ethan the Ezrahite, and Heman and Cahal and Darda the sons of Mahol, and his, those must have been outstanding teachers of the day. And his fame was in all nations round about. And he spake 3,000 proverbs. His songs were 1,005. And he spake of trees, and from the cedar tree that is in Lebanon, even the, unto the hyssop that springeth out of the wall. He spake also of beasts and fowl and creeping things and of fishes. And there came of all people to hear the wisdom of Solomon from all the kings of the earth which had heard of his wisdom. My, what a man. And yet because of the Holy Spirit's truthfulness, we know the rest of the story too, don't we? We know that Solomon, after this, uh, began to make a survey of different religions and ideas and philosophies, and his heart was led away because of idolatry and uh, immorality. And uh, he, he did not always practice what the Lord showed him. That does not take away the veracity of these truths here, by the way. A broke clock is right two times a day, isn't it? 
And we read the book of Ecclesiastes, and he comes back and says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. The Ecclesiastes is a very depressing book, humanly speaking, but it is inspired by the Holy Spirit to tell us of the, the autobiography of a journey of a blessed and a particularly singled out man who did not use the blessings of God as he should have and that the path that that will take you and how he wound up. And so we, we, we know the rest of the story and should study all the story, but that in no wise uh, impugns the teachings that we'll study throughout the book of Proverbs because the Holy Spirit inspired these writings. The Queen of Sheba was one of those rulers who came to see for herself uh, the riches and wisdom and might of Solomon. She came all the way to Israel to see for herself, and you know what her testimony was. In 1 Kings 10, verse 1, And when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, see, his fame was linked because he was God's man. And But like so many, I see others who get lifted up in their, maybe their gifts, their talents, abilities, preaching, singing, whatever, and at some point they forget that it was God who gave them those abilities and talents, and they, they get away from it. And so the fame of Solomon was because he was concerning the name of the Lord. He was God's man. She came to prove him with hard questions. And she came to Jerusalem with a very great train. Can you see the picture here? This camels, no doubt, loaded down. This entourage with camels that bear spices and very much gold and precious stones. That's the way kings and queens visited each other back then. They brought all their stuff with them to show how rich they were, and they made gifts of them, like the, the Magi who came and brought those gifts to Jesus Christ. That was common for to recognize other royalty and when she was come to solomon she communed with him of all that was in her heart and solomon told her all her questions and there was not anything hid from the king which he told her not so do you see this picture i can just see the, this woman greatly dressed in wealth and her eyes i can see her mouth open as solomon un, unveiled to her the perplexities of life her questions and she told her of the wisdom of God. And let me remind you, when you give someone the gospel, that's what you're doing. You're telling them the most important thing they need to know, that they are a sinner, that they were put here to glorify God. She probably said, why am I queen? What did I do except be born into the right family to be queen? And all those things that, that come along with wondering why you have great privilege and, and how to, to exert uh, her authority in her kingdom, whatever it was she, uh, uh, she told him, when you begin to tell people God's authority and who you are in, in relation to that and the answer to your problems is Jesus Christ, you're doing the very thing that Solomon did. The treasure, you open to them the treasuries of Christ. And when the, 1 Kings 10 verse 4 says, And when the queen of Sheba had seen all of Solomon's wisdom. See, she was more impressed with the gospel than she was with his house and his stuff and the house that he had built and the meat on his table and the sitting of his servants and the attendance of his ministers. Can you see the show and the pomp? and of their peril, and his cupbearers, and his ascent by which he went up into the house of the Lord, and of the beautiful temple, nothing like it on earth, and there was no more spirit in her. She was absolutely uh, just blown away in our vernacular. And she said to the king, It was a true report that I heard in mine own land of thy acts and of thy wisdom. 
Howbeit, I believe not the words. Nobody can be that smart, rich, blessed, whatever you want to call it. And there can't be anybody like that on earth. So I came until I came and my eyes had seen it. And behold, the half was not told to me. So it is with our Solomon, the Lord Jesus Christ. The most glorious, wonderful preaching on earth does not do him justice. The, the most able Sunday school teacher and soul winner and gospel minister does not half do him justice. How could we, the ancient of days, show men the glories and the beauties of our Savior? But we have his help. His Holy Spirit unfolds these truths as we tell of him. And so that's exactly what took place here. And uh, so the Lord will allow people to come to you and ask you questions, just like the Queen of Sheba. Don't be intimidated by their background or their education or their wealth. All people need the same thing. They need to know the truth about themselves and of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Happy are thy men, happy are these thy servants, which stand continually before thee and that hear thy wisdom. Blessed be the Lord thy God. Now, I don't want to read too much in here, but I think that the, 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 the Queen of Sheba was converted because she uses that, that terminology. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighteth in thee to set thee on the throne of Israel because the Lord loved Israel forever. She got the ways of God in Israel. She understood the plan and purpose of God. Therefore made he thee king, and here she tells him, to do justice and judgment. May we never forget why the Lord left us here. May we never forget that our great privilege will be asked of us and given account of in the day of judgment. To whom much is given, the rule of heaven is as real as the law of gravity. To whom much is given, much is required. The sad thing is that Solomon turned from this wisdom. I did research about the evangelist who came and preached the gospel the day the Holy Spirit opened my heart to it. And for years, I had not thought about it until just a few years ago. I began to do some research. I wanted to know his name. I wanted to, to write him or go see him and tell him. He had no idea that a 15-year-old boy heard the gospel. The Lord opened my heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. I bowed in, to his sovereignty went on to, to prepare for the ministry and was serving. I thought he might want to know that. Not because I'm anything, but that, that to see that, you know, it is not in vain. And I began to do research and would ask other preachers and Brother Graham and others who, who knew. I began to tell them the circumstances of the date and the time, and he did research as well. And he told me the, the story that the man was no longer alive and that uh, he ended life, the end of his life, was uh, a shipwreck of the faith. And it, it's to start with, my heart was, of course, uh, burdened and hurt. And the questions arise, how could someone so mightily used of the Lord to bring me to the, to the, the faith in Christ, the gospel? Of course, we know the Holy Spirit is the one that does it. Yet, there are human instruments that he uses. And from a, from a human perspective, it brought me great grief, and I, I felt just such an emptiness, even though I had never met him, to hear the, the story. And I don't, don't want to dwell on that except to, to point out this here. The end of that person's life and what they did, that's between them and the Lord, and I, I can't do anything about it. But I do know this. The Lord used that person on that given day in April of 1973 to open my heart to the gospel. And I will be eternally grateful for his obedience and how the Lord used him then. We, the scripture uses 
totally honesty, doesn't it? We, we hear the whole story in the scriptures, and, and we find out that Solomon made shipwreck of his life and, and of this great blessing that he had. And though he could conquer nations and amass unbelievable wealth, he could not conquer lust. Lust destroyed his life. He mimicked the practices of other royalty. Now, you, have to, you cannot study scriptures without understanding the culture of the day. There was not a king on earth who did not have harems. That was common. It wasn't right. And God's people always lived by different guidelines than the kings of the world. But as, as, he, as he would have kings come to his court, do you know what they would do? They would bring, uh, you know, I, I don't want to be graphic, but they would bring those from the harem with them and offer and that kind of thing. And so this happened over and over and over again. And at some point, instead of uh, absolutely... Uh, uh, making a statement about it, which you should have, or uh, not uh, gone along with it, uh, with hundreds of women, most from heathen and idolatrous backgrounds, Solomon began to do uh, what so many do today with the access of uh, immorality so easily available. No different of having a harem on a computer as, as there is to have one literally as, as Solomon did. So that's all I'm going to say. You get the picture and you understand the, the demise of Solomon. These women not only caused him to sin with his body, but they caused him to turn his heart from the one true God to their gods. You see, there's always a progression downward, and there can be no compromise with these things. They turned his heart from the Lord, and he married them for political expediency. They were legal marriages, but he no doubt ever saw most of these women. There's no way. Maybe not even past them, but he would make treaties and alliances with other governments and countries and all of that would be a part of it as far as it is in our thinking today but that's just a fact and uh, he married them for expediency to seal the deal to make things look you know uh, look good to the other kings to gain the influence with foreign rulers to cement peace agreements that he made with them and this was not only immoral and ungodly and it's not i'm not uh, explaining it away i'm just explaining it and unbiblical, but in the end, the political compromise led to religious compromise. And the king of Israel, who ought to have known better, became a snare to his own people. And you know the lifelong problem with Israel was the problem of idolatry, pagan idols. And while Solomon returned to his senses at the end of his life, and to following the Lord, we learn from the book of Ecclesiastes, he paid dearly for it. His influence was absolutely gone. There was, no, there was no influence at the end of his life. No one listened to what Solomon had to say. You, when you read the book of Ecclesiastes, it is a part of the word of God, but there's this hollow, pitiful sound to the whole thing. The Holy Spirit allows that to be there. The, 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 just, you see the absolute futility of it all. Don't you? The, I, I did this. There's, no, there's nothing under the sun. There's no good thing under the sun. I'm paraphrasing here. We live and we die. And he goes through all those, that sad droning until finally he gets to the end and he comes to his senses. But this I've concluded. The chief end of man is to fear God and to serve him from your youth and never depart from the ways of righteousness. Now, we mentioned the detour, but we don't glorify the detour. Uh, The detour is a horrible thing, whether it's in the life of Abraham or Isaac or Solomon. And the reason the Holy Spirit leaves them there in all their garish ugliness is so that you don't take the detour. There's a detour for every one of us. What did 
the Lord tell Cain, sin lieth at the door. Satan is he's there to, to grab you and to, to, to open all kinds of other doors to you. And so he paid dearly for it in his own, the life of his own son because his son, and you can go back and read about him, was the fool king Rehoboam. Rehoboam's mother was a pagan Ammonite, and she greatly influenced her son. And I'm sure Solomon tried to teach and lead Rehoboam because when you read here, this is the Proverbs of a father to his son and so, so forth. But she, he tried to, to, to lead Rehoboam in the paths of righteousness, but it was too little too late. Dr. John Phillips says all Rehoboam could see was his uh, father's example. Not what his father said, but what his father did. So if we would avoid playing the fool, we must not only explore the, the, the book of Proverbs, but also follow its advice. Not just read it every day, but do what it says. The Word of God is true. Now, I, I, I don't say that rhetorically or uh, redundantly, but we must be reminded that every word of this book is absolutely true. It will stand throughout eternity. It will never be rescinded. Even if the one delivering the message is a faulty messenger or a donkey, as we've seen in the scriptures, or someone who doesn't believe what they're saying. Remember, they tried to get the, the, the prophet to give a, a prophecy against God's people and he would try to tell them, but he couldn't do it, could he? But even if you can, uh, if, if, even uh, if the, the messenger is, falls by the wayside, as I've shared with you in my own testimony, or does not live up to it. The word of God is true in every man a liar. If, even if every man on earth is a liar. The Bible would be true. And so this word. You know some people. Base the scriptures on their own experience. I've tried it didn't work. That kind of silly philosophy. Or uh, others have fallen. Everybody's a hypocrite. All those things that people say. And or I haven't experienced it. Or I've never seen it lived out. It doesn't change the truth of this book one iota. What this book says is true, and God will do what He says. The the background information about Solomon's foolish choices shouldn't tarnish the teaching of this book. There, this is the inspired word of God. Now, Proverbs records just five hundred and thirteen. Do you remember in that little biographical biographical sketch that I read? I said how I wrote over a thousand. We just have five hundred and thirteen. Of these 3,000 Proverbs from uh, Solomon's collection, along with some Proverbs of others when, uh, that Solomon likely influenced and they became part of the, the Scripture. When you read the Proverbs, you can't help but hear the voice of a father instilling into his son life's important lessons for children. And so I would encourage you parents to use these liberally in your teaching and your discipline and in the, the admonition of your children. The first verse we taught our children to memorize is the one I've already quoted. The eyes of the Lord are in every place beholding the evil and the good. Not as a bully club, but to let them know that, that mother and daddy won't always be there, but God is always there. And what we tell you is true, and what God uh, says is true. There, th these are the things that his children need to know about living life. Our literal children and grandchildren, uh, and, and you... Uh, as a child of God. So no one is exempt from this class of Proverbs. And you'll never reach a point where you say, I've gone through it, I've done this as a practice for almost 30 years, but it's just as fresh and new every day that I read the one that goes along with the day. 
And I don't, I'm not saying to do that just as some rigmarole, but the, the treasures and the, the gems that are there and the, uh, the teachings that God will give you, absolutely amazing. And to help us, them establish a relationship with him through salvation in Christ. Parents are to teach by precept and example their children how to live life wisely, how to make godly decisions, how to choose the right kind of friends. All these things are addressed in this book. How to work, how to save how to avoid sin and temptation and the snares of the evil one. Amazingly, Solomon has a, there's several chapters that tell his son about the immoral women, the immoral woman, the woman with the attire of a harlot, even that in itself, which is almost un, unmentioned today. That kind of woman, avoid, he, is exactly what he tells his son. The snares of the evil one, how to get along with others, relationships, the poor. He mentions getting along with the poor, the rich, the fatherless, the widow, those in authority, and family members, and so on. How to find the right kind of mate, which is one of my life's outside of salvation, is one of the most important things in life. This is all, is, is really living a godly life in an ungodly world. Not only do we see this home setting of instruction, but we see the insights uh, from the life at the royal court of Israel because Solomon is gleaning these things from what he's observed in other people, the smartest people on earth, other rulers and ambassadors that come to him, what he's observed in the life of others. Since Proverbs is wisdom literature, is in that category of wisdom and poetry, please don't let the Psalms just be poems to you or the Proverbs just to be uh, sayings to you. The Holy Spirit gave them in, in memorable brief little couplets is what they are. You'll see every verse has two parts, either compare, comparing and contrasting or the same truth restated in a different way to emphasize it. But don't let it just be uh, that kind of thing. Uh, Proverbs is wisdom literature. It is by nature sometimes difficult to understand. I'll tell you that from the outset. Remember, after all, we're dealing with the mind of God, not the mind of, of a king or a teacher or some earthly wise man. For example, in verse 6, he warns us this from the very beginning. He tells us to understand a proverb and the interpretation of, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. He tells you that, that, that these things are sometimes purposefully crouched uh, so that you have to study and to think about it to understand what it's really saying. And uh, this is true. I have read Proverbs over and over again uh, and, and until light is shown. I will often look up... I, I study Proverbs with Strong's Concordance with me because I look up these words... For example, if you read the word, train up a child the way he should go, and when he's old, he will not de depart from it. If you look up the way, the word way, train up a child the way he should go, in, the, in, in Strong's, you'll find it, and you look it up, the number of the word in the, in the back in the Hebrew, you'll say that the, see that, that word means bent. And it means to think about the way the child's uh, personality, to take that in consideration, that child's bent, their interests, their their ideas, and everyone is different, aren't they? That does, and so, so often that verse will be preached and taught, train up a child the way he should go, the right way, God's way. And of course we, we know that, but to just do that rotely in like a Xerox machine without considering that child's uh, temperament, ideas, uh, all kinds of things, personality that God has given them as well is to do a disservice to that child and uh, you, you will not be taking in the whole teaching of God's word of how to do it. And so we'll look at those things as we make our way through the book of Proverbs. But 
again, let's go back to what he tells us the goal is. Remember our thesis statement? Let's read it again. The Proverbs of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, to know wisdom. And that's not just no facts where we can quote it. He goes on and elaborates on that word note. To perceive, that's not just to know, but to understand experientially the words of understanding. To receive the instruction of wisdom, justice, and judgment, and equity. To give subtly, subtlety to the simple and to do the young man knowledge and discretion. May the Lord bless his word. Our gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for uh, your word, how true it is, how you open our hearts and minds to it. And Lord, we pray that the truths that we study here uh, redound to the glory of God in our sanctification. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.